Hi, you're listening to Bonus Points, the official podcast of Mr. Astle's theology class. Join us as we put out into the deep and explore the world of theology and beyond. Today, we're talking about a warrior woman of a saint, Saint Olga of Kiev. Let's begin. Hello there, and welcome to episode 48 of Bonus Points. Before we begin, I want to give a special shout out to listener Faith K, who suggested the topic for today's episode. In her request, she noted that she has a very strong devotion to this particular saint because, and I quote, she's not like the others. We'll talk about what made St. Olga so distinct and what lessons we can take from her life. My hope is that all of us can learn a little more about a saint that perhaps we weren't as familiar with, and we can ask for her intercession. Before we talk about St. Olga, though, remember to subscribe to Bonus Points wherever you're listening, share this episode with somebody, and check out our website at bonuspointspodcast.com. Okay, so let's start with an overview of St. Olga's life, what we know, and some interesting anecdotes from her life. It won't take long to see why we referred to St. Olga as a warrior woman of a saint. Now, St. Olga was around near the end of the first millennium. As with many saints from this era, there are some gaps in what we know for sure about her life. Some stories may be more legendary than factual, or may be exaggerated or modified, so it can be hard to say some things for sure. One of the main sources we have about Olga is a document called the Primary Chronicle, or The Tale of Bygone Years, a history of the Slavic people, written by a monk named Nestor around the early 1100s. We'll have a link to the full text of the Primary Chronicle in the show notes, and most of the information about Olga is going to be showing up in Chapter 5. Okay, so, Olga was born in the late 800s in a newly minted empire known as the Kievan Rus. This was the first East Slavic state, and was made up primarily of people of Viking descent. In terms of territory, it included modern-day Russia, Ukraine, and Belarus. Its founder, Oleg, united a variety of Viking factions into one nation and established his capital at Kiev. This is the context into which Olga was born. We don't know much about Olga's early life, but as a young woman, she married Prince Igor I. After the death of Oleg, Prince Igor took the reins. Now, there was a neighboring Viking tribe called the Drevlians that had been paying tribute money to Oleg. When Igor succeeded him, they decided to stop. Needless to say, Igor was unhappy with this, so he took his army to the Drevlian capital to convince them to pay him tribute. Igor's much larger army was very convincing indeed, and so the Drevlians agreed to pay a tribute. After they left, however, Igor decided that it wasn't enough, so he turned back to ask for more. The Drevlians did not take too kindly to this, so they killed him. This is where Olga takes center stage. She and Igor had a son, Sviatoslav, who was to become king after his father's death. However, he was still a kid, so his mother Olga became his regent. For those less familiar with how monarchical succession works, A regent is somebody who rules on behalf of somebody else. Typically, it happens when the rightful monarch is too young to actually run a country. As regent, Olga was essentially the queen of Kievan Rus. 
The Drevlians saw this as an opportunity to expand their power, so they sent a messenger to Kiev to propose a new political arrangement. They suggested that Olga marry the Drevlian Prince Mal, who just so happened to be the man who murdered her husband Igor. Olga probably responded with a general grievous quote, You are a bold one. Oh, and by the way, the messenger added, there's a boat in your harbor with 20 Drevlian soldiers who will make sure your answer gets back to Prince Mal safely, and that it's a good answer. Despite simultaneously learning that her husband had been murdered, and that her husband's murderer was proposing marriage, Olga was quick on her feet. She responded, Well, I guess I'd better marry Mal, because it's not like my husband is coming back from the dead. But I'd like to show you and your men the level of honor you deserve. Tomorrow morning, we'll carry you through the streets in your boat. After all, you're too good for horses or walking. That's what we do around here. When someone has a really, like, when somebody really honorable comes to town, we carry them in their boat like some sort of carriage. The Drevelians were pretty psyched about this, and they were flattered that Olga was going to show them this high level of honor. Sure enough, the next morning, the people of Kiev showed up to carry their boat through the town. They carried the boat with all the Drevlians all the way up to the town square, where they promptly dropped it in a pit they had dug the night before. As the townspeople started burying the Drevlians alive, Olga leaned over the pit and asked whether they felt sufficiently honored yet. Oh, and she wasn't done with her revenge yet. After this, she sent a messenger to the Drevlians asking them to send all of their most distinguished nobles to escort her to her new husband. When they arrived, she told them all to go to the bathhouse and freshen up. Then, once they were inside, she locked the doors and set the bathhouse on fire. Oh, and she still wasn't done. Next, she asked the Drevlians, who still had no idea about what had happened to the first two diplomatic parties, she asked them whether they would provide mead for her to hold a funeral feast at her husband's tomb. Prince Mal agreed, and so Olga and a small band of soldiers showed up to have a funeral feast. The Drevlians joined them, and once they were all drunk, Olga had her retinue kill them all. Oh, and you guessed it, she wasn't done. The army of Kievan Rus went to war against the Drevlians and besieged the Drevlian capital. After a year of siege, Olga asked the Drevlians why they would rather starve in their city than just pay her the tribute. They responded, Um, we'd love to pay the tribute. We're just worried that you're still not done with your revenge. Olga responded, Oh, that? Yeah, we're cool. How's this sound? I'll end the siege. If you give me a tribute of three pigeons for every household in the city. The Drevlian said, Pinky swear, because that sounds like a really good deal. Olga said, Yeah, three pigeons per household, that's your tribute. Oh, but Olga wasn't done with her revenge. She took the pigeons and attached little pieces of sulfur to them using cloth. Then she lit the sulfur on fire and let the birds go. Naturally, they flew back to somewhere they were familiar with, the Drevlian capital. That night, the entire city burned down. And now, finally, Olga was done with her revenge. The rest of her rule was pretty calm and successful. She continued to turn down marriage proposals and established trading posts that helped centralize power in Kievan Rus. 
She reformed the legal system, built relationships with surrounding nations, and supported her son once he was old enough to reign. At this point in the story, you may be remembering that we call her Saint Olga, and you may have some questions. So far, we haven't exactly painted a very saintly picture of Olga, so what's the deal? Well, in the 950s, Olga went to the capital of the Byzantine Empire, Constantinople. There, she encountered Christianity for the first time, and she was captivated. While she was in Constantinople, she experienced a profound conversion and became Christian. Now, she was not the first Christian in Kievan Rus. Igor had several Christians in his court, but she was, by far, the most powerful to ever be baptized. She used her, her position to try and bring Christian influence into Kievan Rus. She first tried to get her son, who was king by this point, to convert and become a Christian, but he was worried that he would be mocked if he converted. After all, Christianity did not have a very good reputation in Kievan Rus at this time. Christians were seen as weak and laughable. Olga did get her son to agree to protect Christians from persecution, and he allowed her to build churches throughout the empire. Olga also tried to bring priests as missionaries into the kingdom, but was largely unsuccessful. In fact, when she died in 969 AD, it seemed that her mission to Christianize Kievan Rus had failed. But she laid a foundation that would eventually pay off. 20 years after her death, her grandson Vladimir became Catholic and made Christianity the religion of the empire. And so, even though the results came after her lifetime, Saint Olga is often credited for being the one to Christianize the Slavic people. So, here we have Saint Olga the warrior of Kiev who expanded and protected her empire and planted seeds for the growth of Christianity in the Slavic regions. Unlike some other saints, we may look at the life of St. Olga and think, there's not much I can relate to here. What lessons can we learn from her? Well, I'd like to propose a few. I think that St. Olga actually has a lot to teach us today. And no, I don't mean that we should take violent and clever revenge on our enemies. First, Olga reminds us that the saints aren't always kind and gentle. For a lot of people, when they think of the saints, they probably picture a nun or a priest or somebody, hands folded, gentle smile, eyes closed, just praying all the time. They imagine that the saints had a uniformly boring personality and only vary in the particulars of their times and places. In reality, the saints have very distinct personalities and stories. This is why I love to learn about the saints and get to know them better, because they're all so vibrant and unique. St. Teresa of Avila prayed, From sour-faced saints, Lord, deliver us. St. Jerome was well known as a grumpy guy, and his writings really let his temper through in some parts. There were saints as extroverted as the St. Jose Maria, or as introverted as St. Thomas Aquinas. We have illiterate saints and some of the greatest scholars who ever lived. And no, not all the saints were nice and gentle. Heck, even Jesus wasn't always nice and gentle. He flipped tables and had some pretty strong words for the Pharisees now and then. When he talked about those who scandalized children, Jesus said that it would be better if a millstone was hung around their neck and they were thrown into a lake. He talked about hell more than he talked about heaven. 
and warned those who only give him lip service that one day he'll look them in the eyes and say, I never knew you. Jesus, like Aslan, is good, but not always nice. And Jesus didn't always paint a rosy picture when it comes to following him. He told us that we may have to shake the dust from our sandals when we're rejected, and that we will be handed over and many of us will be killed. At the time I'm recording this, that was the gospel that we heard at Mass just yesterday. Jesus even told us that if we want to follow him, we must take up our cross daily. This brings us to the next important lesson we can learn from Olga. Jesus told us to love our enemies. He never said to pretend we don't have any. If you are following Christ, you will have enemies. There will be those who oppose you because of your beliefs and because of the decisions you make based on those beliefs. And even if, somehow, you don't have any human enemies, there is still the enemy of your soul, Satan and his demons. St. Peter writes in his first letter that we must be sober and alert because your adversary the devil is prowling like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Olga never pretended that she didn't have enemies. She was very clear-eyed about the fact that there were those who opposed her, who did not want the best for her, and whom she must resist with all her might. Olga also teaches us that we shouldn't avoid confrontation when it is necessary. This doesn't mean that we should be confrontational, but when we are in a situation where we need to stand up for ourselves and our beliefs, we shouldn't just let people walk all over us. I always think of this when I'm praying with the Beatitudes, especially the one that says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Sometimes people think that meekness is weakness, and that being meek means being a doormat. That is not the case. The Greek word that we translate as meek in Matthew 5 is praise, which was used to refer to war horses that had been trained to control their strength. Meekness is not weakness, but is actually strength that can be controlled. Olga, Olga exemplifies this in many ways. She did not seek out conflict with the Drevlians, but she also did not let them walk all over her. She was not afraid to confront her enemy when the time came. St. Olga also reminds us that the Holy Spirit is able to work powerfully in our lives. No matter what kind of life we've led so far, there's always the possibility of a conversion experience. For more stories about saints with not-so-saintly pasts, go back and check out episode 37. Finally, St. Olga teaches us that we can plant seeds that will bear fruit, even long after we are around to see it. On the surface, it seemed that her mission to Christianize Kievan Rus had failed. After all, her son didn't convert, and she didn't even manage to get many missionaries to come to the land. And yet, what she was able to do planted the seeds that would bear fruit when her grandson Vladimir converted. A lot of the time, that's how it is with us as well. We may play a small part or a large part in somebody's conversion, but we usually don't play the whole part. Even St. Paul said that what he planted, Apollos watered. But at the end of the day, it's Christ who provides the growth. Sometimes we can get discouraged because we don't seem to be having much of an impact. But don't give up, and don't stop sharing the good news with others. Even if you don't witness any St. Paul on the road to Damascus moments, that doesn't mean you're not having an impact. A conversation that you have today, 
even if neither you nor the other person really thinks about it, may go on to play a large role in an incredible story. And that's the encouragement I want to leave you with today. Don't be afraid to plant seeds, even if you probably won't get to see the fruits in this life. One day, we'll get to see the whole tapestry, but today we're just living a single thread of it. I'm going to quote Father Mike Schmitz here when he says, don't wait for permission to evangelize. Like, don't wait for somebody to ask you to share how Christ has impacted your life. So, that's all we have for today's episode. I love episodes like this because they're opportunities for me to learn just as much as you. I wasn't overly familiar with St. Olga before this topic was suggested slash demanded. But it was a good chance to do some research into this incredible saint and to ask this absolute warrior for her prayers. And if she's half as determined to pray for us as she was with everything she did in this life, I know we're in good hands. If you're interested in learning more, I have some additional resources to share with you. As always, you can find these resources on our website, bonuspointspodcast.com, under this week's entry on the episode guide. If you look there, you'll find a link to the complete text of the Primary Chronicle, that key source about early Slavic history from the early 1000s. You'll also find a biography of St. Olga from Catholic Online, an article about St. Olga from the National Catholic Register, and an encyclopedia article about Kievan Rus. I'm also linking to an interlinear version of Matthew 5, so you can see the Greek used for the Beatitudes, and particularly the Beatitude about the meek. Until next time, I'm Mr. Astle. Make sure you subscribe to Bonus Points wherever you listen to podcasts so that you don't miss an episode. That will also help the show be more visible in these different podcast directories, which will help more people join us as we continue every episode to put out into the deep to explore the world of theology and beyond.